Welcome to Triangle 411, the pulse that moves the Triangle world today. It's a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, what's trending, social good, events, and boundless other adventures. A conversation pit of comedians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hi, friends. There is not a person on the planet that has not experienced grief at one time or another. Even a young child whose trusted friend, Tommy the Turtle, when he dies, that little boy goes through some form of grief. Even if it only lasts until his next peanut butter and jelly sandwich and favorite cartoon break. And you know, that's another thing, timing of our grief. It's different for everyone, and there's no right or wrong. Some may take a brief period to rise above the loss. Others may take years, and still others will never fully get over it. I recently read a People magazine article about singer Luke Bryan. He still deals with the loss of his brother, Chris, in a car accident his sister Kelly's early passing of an unknown cause, and his brother-in-law, Lee, dying of a heart attack also at an early age. In the article, Brian is quoted as saying, You're never through your grief. You're always breathing it. Always breathing it. I have never heard it described so profoundly. Here to provide direction on the subject of grief and loss is Parker Anderson. Anderson is a licensed therapist with the Mindley Group in Cary and Therapeutic Family Solutions in Durham. He began his career as a medical family therapist with the Duke Cancer Center, working with cancer patients and their loved ones to navigate the grief, loss, and changes associated with chronic and terminal illness. Welcome, Parker. Hi, thank you so much for having me. First, tell us about the causes of grief, because it's not just related to losing a loved one. It can be about, you know, chronic health challenges, empty nester problems, divorce. Let's talk about some of the causes. I think it is important to distinguish grief from loss. Right, so there's a loss, like uh, a divorce, or empty nest, or a death, or simply changing jobs or moving. Right, all of those are losses because something has been lost. And then there's grief, which is the process that comes after the loss. And one of the ways I like to talk about that is grief is learning to live in the world without what you've lost. And so that is. Uh, the process that you're going through when you start to feel that that feeling of uncertainty and powerlessness um, that can come from anything as big as a, as a death to something as, as, as small as, you know, losing a friendship or moving out of state. Yeah, that's interesting when you think about moving or um, job loss in, in this category, because again, or loss of independence, especially with age. Um, 
you know, it's not your, it's not your go-to. You think, oh, somebody died. So there are all kinds of propellers out there for it. That's for sure. But what are some of the myths about grief? I think the first one, the one that I, um, I think I like to push back on the most is that grief is bad. And instead, I think grief is probably one of the most powerful um, uh, learning moments or experiences that we go through that helps us reorganize our life. So when we're going through grief, it doesn't feel good, but it, there's a lot of potential in grief to say, okay, so you know, I, I've lost this thing, which means that there's space in my life to reorganize. And so um, how can I use this pain in this moment to shape a better life for myself, right? Or at least a life um, that's more aligned with our values or who we are. Uh, I think grief presents us with that opportunity. And so when we hear the word grief, we think, oh, that's bad. You know, that person must be really sad or they must be suffering. And while, you know, acknowledging the pain is, is really important, it's also really important to acknowledge the opportunity. I also think probably one of uh, the biggest misconceptions is that uh, it is comes from that five stages model, right? Where there are five stages of grief and you're going to go through them and then you're going to come through on the other side and uh, and you're going to go through them individually in order and come through them on the other side and then uh, suddenly you'll be okay, right? And you'll have closure and it'll be over. But that's, that's not really what we know. What we know is that grief isn't linear and that grief really isn't mappable because it's really individual. Everybody experiences it differently. Everybody has different feelings associated associated with grief. And so it's more important to say, okay, what am I feeling rather than where am I in this in this uh, in this model or in these stages? And, and and I think that really is sort of the third myth, you know, right, is that is that grief ha- has closure. Because there really isn't a time in which you stop grieving the thing you've lost, big or small. It's always a part of you. Uh, it's always a thing that can come back up. It can go away for a while and come back. Uh, and it becomes a part of your story. And so there's no closure. There's no putting away. There's just an integration of that learning into your story. And that's how you move forward. You know, we want to talk about some of the therapies one by one here coming up. But but you mentioned something, and this would be maybe more the stages, but a lot of people... Um, you know, it, you need to understand the pain because it's not just crying. It's It can be anger and confusion, regret. Can you talk about that a little bit? I, I think one of the things, and maybe it's really interesting to talk about this in the context of this moment we're in, right, where the biggest grief that we're going through as sort of a collective experience is the loss of certainty, right? That complete loss of any certainty uh, that's come from this pandemic and all of the different things that have, have followed it. And, and so, you know, a loss of certainty or feeling uncertain is, is kind of the same thing as powerlessness. And I think there is a, a, a major sense of powerlessness that comes along with grief that then leads to, okay, so I feel powerless right now. I'm going to shrink. I'm going to get really sad. I'm going to freeze and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to make myself blank. And I'm not going to have any feeling at all. Or I'm going to be angry. I'm going to rage against my powerlessness. Or I'm going to pretend like it's not there. Uh, so there are all these different emotions that come from this root feeling of the world isn't as I expected it to be. And so now, 
I'm going to have my own individual feeling and response to that powerlessness. And the sort of antidote to that, right, is, is trying to figure out, okay, so I may not have power over here, but where do I have power? Because there really isn't any person ever in any moment that doesn't have any power anywhere. And, and finding that and shifting into where you do have power helps mitigate some of those other feelings uh, of powerlessness in other areas of our lives. Oh, I'm so glad that you touched on that with, with the whole COVID thing going on, because I think that's going to resonate with a lot of our listeners, because <laughs> I can't think of too many people that aren't going through some kind of reaction from this pandemic. And it is, I mean, some people, I mean, you see the stats about depression is up and so forth, because, um, because this is out here. And I do believe uncertainty and not being able to control the situation, as you mentioned, played a major role in that. Yes. And, and now with this resurgence of COVID, it's again, it's like, it's this feeling of, I can't do this again. I can't go back into this. I can't lose all my power again. And how do you then refocus, recenter and say, okay, it won't be the same this time. I need to, I need to search myself and my environment and my family and my friends for where I do have some agency, some power, and come at it from that perspective. I think it might help a little bit if people realize you made it once, you can maybe make it twice. <laughs> that, that's mm-hmm. the only thing I can say <laughs> about the resurgence, because it is very frustrating. And I think a lot of people in some cases are suffering more the second time around because of that very thing. You know, I've, I've just can't do this again. And that's a real feeling. And I think, I think too, we're, we're talking about the shift to what we can control, but before we shift, it's okay to just say, this is really frustrating. I don't want to do this again and be able to sit in that feeling. I know it's a feeling before we move into where we do have some control. Uh, because we do often try and change people's feelings, but especially in grief. You know, feel better. Do something that you, that, that makes you happy. You know, uh, look at, look at all of the things you have to be grateful for. You know, these statements have positive intention, but what they do is they invalidate where the person is right there in that moment. And they're sad. They're angry. They're lost. And it's okay to be those things before we could be something else again. So let's advance here because part of Triangle 411, our goal is to find solutions and uh, offer hope. So let's look at one by one, maybe some of the different therapies out there for, for this situation, starting with acceptance and commitment therapy. Acceptance and commitment therapy is, um, it's re- that's really aimed at values, right? What are my values and how can I find a place of acceptance in a grief situation, but based on who I am and what I know is important to me, right? And, and really being able to recenter in, in, in that side of the experience. So, um, you know, values are, you know, values are, they don't really change for us. Uh, beliefs can change, but values don't. So, you know, if you are a person who values, you know, justice or integrity or um, honesty and being able to really understand who you are and, and see that those things haven't really changed just because you've lost something is helpful. Um, and acceptance is, is, is 
mentioned in those five stages of grief. It's, it's coming to accept that the, this is how the world is. Uh, and we may wish, and I think sometimes when we use the word wish, we should be careful. Uh, you know, I wish that it was this way. You know, I wish COVID didn't come back. You know, I wish that, you know, the person I love doesn't have cancer. Uh, and that's an important feeling, but it's, it's not what is. And so it's about being able to recenter in our values and then in what is right now. What about cognitive behavior therapy? So cognitive behavior therapy is that that's really thought mapping, right? So how are you thinking about this? You know, how are you thinking about your grief? How are you, uh, what are the things that, you know, your grief is causing you to say to yourself that may or may not be true? You know, those distortions. Uh, sometimes grief will tell us, um, uh, I think one of the, 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 the greatest ones to come back to, you know, the pandemic is the world will never be okay again, right? And it's that, that feeling that grief gives us that uh, the world will never be okay again. And so how do we interrupt that? How do we find out when we're thinking that, what triggers that thought, and come up with some, some ways to talk to ourselves differently about how, uh, how that might not actually be true. That might actually just be fear that's giving us those, those negative thoughts. And I've heard a lot about this as more and more becoming more and more popular, not that it didn't exist way back in ancient times, but mindfulness-based therapy. And it's important to mention, too, acceptance and commitment therapy has a mindfulness root. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, there's a lot of integrated mindfulness because it takes being able to uh, be present in that way to understand, okay, why am I thinking this right now? What is bringing this up for me? Right? It's really being able to be right here in the present. So um, Brene Brown, who does a lot of writing um, and, and talks and has a great podcast, but she, um, she calls mindfulness courageously present, which I think is almost a more digestible way to understand it. But it's about that thing that I was talking about earlier, about saying, you know what, I am sad. It's, it's being able to be right where you are with your feelings as opposed to trying to change them all the time because our feelings are true and we may not want them to be true, uh, but they're there for a reason. And if we can be there with them, then we can learn something. And people come at mindfulness from all different directions. For some people, that means, yes, a meditation or a breathing practice. But for other people, that might just mean, I need to go for a walk in, on my favorite trail and just like be with myself and check in and see where I am right now. Uh, but because it's a process of not being in the future and or in the past, but being right here right now. What's going on with neurofeedback therapy? I mean, is this the, is this the old time shock therapy or has it progressed neurofeedback therapy? So I'm not as well-versed in neurofeedback therapy, but it is a little bit like an extension of mindfulness from what I understand about it. So neurofeedback is, um, it, it is really about checking in with the body. Um, it kind of comes al along with this, this push towards somatic therapy, which is the idea that trauma or feelings manifest in the body and that there's an interrelationship between those the, the, between biology and psychology, where traditionally there's been this separation. And so can you understand, 
and we'll do, I'll do this pretty often in therapy, you know, if someone has an anger problem, right? Well, what happens first in your body? Where do you feel it? And is that your, is that your warning? Is that your GPS? Because the body is a GPS for our feelings. And so uh, neurofeedback or somatics really try to tap into that, 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 that we have to use the body and use the mind in tandem to try and, and understand how we're feeling and then what we need to do next. So is there anything new coming out around the corner to help uh, get over grief, anything to treat grief that's new? So I think grief, right, is um, grief is in itself its own therapy, right? That, 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 that when I, so when I worked um, at the cancer center, at the Duke Cancer Center with cancer patients and their families, that most often... The, the therapies that I would use and that I found helpful were um, existential therapy, which really looks at right the power of death or loss in helping reshape your your life. Like when if you can contemplate the idea of your own death, then what 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 does that tell you about your life in the here and now? You know what what connections, what, what experiences do you want to have? How it's a clarifier, right? Thinking about your own death tells you a lot about how you want your the relationships to change. Um, and then family systems therapy. So sometimes we think about grief as this individual process that we need to go through and then come back out into the world and reconnect when really grief is a collective experience a lot of times. And uh, it's, it's something that often happens in a family, right, or in a couple or, you know, with a, with a parent and child. And so family systems therapy is really looking at, okay, so grief is, in the, is not in a person, but in a system, and it's affecting everyone. And how can we talk about the, the system and the way all the relationships need to change in order to reorganize around this grief? So I would say those two, they, they're not cutting edge. They've been mm -hmm. around, but they are very helpful. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And, you know, so common sense dictates the first step is to seek help. But a lot of people you know, they just don't have the courage to do it or the gumption or it's kind of like, I'll just get over this or I'm just being, um, you know, a baby about this. I mean, people put a lot of terrible thoughts in their mind about it. Um, what would you say? How can you help somebody make that step to realize it's okay to seek help? I think that it is very difficult to reach out for help sometimes. And that our idea that we uh, that we can be strong on our own is i think again one of these ideas that's been challenged by this pandemic and if we can think about the feelings of disconnection and how those feelings hurt and understand that reaching out for help isn't about weakness but it's about connection then i think that that's a helpful way to think about it it's not i need help because i am weak it is I need help because I need to feel connected again because grief disconnects us. And so reaching out for help to a professional sometimes is too daunting. And while that may be true, if that's where you are and that's not the step that you can take right away, knowing the people in your life who are your friends, who uh, are the friends who are willing to talk to you about your pain and are willing to stay with you and are willing to really truly be compassionate, which means I'm here with you. I'm not going to try and change your feelings and your feelings are valid, right? Those people who are able to sort of sit there with you 
and 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 really lean on people who you already trust to start before maybe taking the next step of reaching out for help. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're out of time, but I'd like to close maybe one or two sentences from you. If you could say one thing to a person suffering from loss and grief, what would it be? I'd say that the way that you're feeling is okay and that it will take the time that it will take and to look inside yourself for what opportunity this, there might be here, but also it's okay to just feel, feel the pain for a moment. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here and hopefully helping some folks out there listening. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate talking with you. For our nonprofit spotlight, I want to tell you about the National Alliance on Mental Health. Their mission is to provide support, education, advocacy, and public awareness to all that are affected by mental illness and the hopes that they can build better lives. Their mission is to cultivate a world where all people affected by mental illness live healthy, fulfilling lives supported by a community that cares. The Alliance advocates at the county, state, and national levels for access to quality health care, housing, education, and employment for people with mental illness. They educate the public about mental illness and work to eliminate its stigma. For information on the North Carolina chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Health, visit namic.org. namic.org. For the Alliance's National Information Helpline, you may call 800-950-NAMI. I 800-950-NAMI. So we're going to hop on over to Carrie's 150th anniversary spotlight and let you know that coming in September and in October to celebrate their birthday, you will be able to learn about its history via the Carrie Players in the town of Carrie's Carrie the Stories. And this original play, written by Dr. Catherine Laughlin, a new family moves to Cary and stops in at Ashworth's for their famous hot dogs. As Mr. Ashworth takes them through several centuries of life in Cary, the family discovers they share the same names as Cary's founding family, Frank and Catherine Page. The show highlights stories of Cary's people and places across the centuries. For info, go to carry150.org. Carry150.org. Well, it's time to high five and say goodbye. Keep listening on your favorite platform Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, whatever it is. And for more on upcoming grief and loss subjects, you may want to tune in to our show on Death Cafes where folks meet over coffee for support. To feed your body, listen to our show with Iron Chef winner Justin Sutherland for foodie tips. Or for light listening, check out our How to Be Happy show. 
Surprise, you get a free book. Please be sure to subscribe and like us. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 just breathe.